As you already know, we're huge podheads here, and we're excited to share that our friends over at Flamebearers just launched a new season of their game-changing podcast. Listen to weekly episodes where top women Olympians and Paralympians reflect on their accomplishments, share their trials and triumphs, and discuss what life is like outside the game when the spotlight isn't on. Check it all out on season three of Flamebearers. Absolutely, I felt a lot of different things, but definitely, definitely similar to you said. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that, guys. Good thing it's heavily edited. Oh, no. <laughs> I have a feeling they're going to keep that one in. <laughs> Such a serious conversation to Lynn ruining it with a call. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. I'm Lynn Williams. And I'm Sam Mewis, and this is Snacks, where we talk about some personal stuff, some soccer stuff, some real stuff, and some fun stuff. So, Lynn. Well, some people might ask us why I have this pumpkin in the show. If you can um, see us online, I'm holding our pumpkin, which is the one personal the legend, thing near... The legendary pumpkin that Lynn and I have owned since 2017. Near and dear to our heart, we refuse to throw it away. Um, it has made many moves. All the way to Kansas City. Yeah, it and is, for like four apartments in North Carolina. Literally cups were thrown away instead of this pumpkin. Like essential things were thrown away instead yes. of this pumpkin. Well, and that's how essential it is. Should we get pumpkin tattoos? Shut up. Oh my God, I can't believe I just thought of that. Now I have to do it. Oh, where? Where are we getting pumpkin tattoos? Can I just cover up my pizza? <laughs> Fine, I'm in. If you can get me a good picture of a pumpkin, I'm in. We just bring that. Can you please draw this on me? Could you please ink this on my body permanently? This size as well. We also got some questions about the... Oh, yeah. Thank you for that question, Abby Leah Tobins. And then we also got an... We were... <laughs> there was a re, an update requested on the whereabouts of my favorite possession, the herbal doormat. It's obviously outside my door. Like, where else would it be? Exactly. I guys, see it. I see it each and every day of my life. I had to bring it from North Carolina. I packed it in I my bag. I think they know this. I think they know this. I, I know. I, I just wanted to remind people just in case we have new listeners. Oh, well, if you're a new listener, you got to go way back and listen to everything because Lynn packed me a doormat because she knew how much I loved it. Well, before you left, you said, this is my favorite thing in the world. So I couldn't throw that away. So I brought it here. Now it's outside our door. This could be our traveling pumpkin. I got it this year and you get it next year. And then we always just mail it back and forth to each other. I know. I love this pumpkin. Okay. I know. Um, what, what's been up? What's been up since well, the last podcast? Um, it was my friggin' birthday. I friggin' know you're 30. Big old 3-0. Dirty 30. Dirty. Dirty pop. Mm. Mm. Yo. <laughs> Did you know that that came next in that song? No. They should play it if they have the rights to it. Because I just literally did it perfectly. Okay. So anyways, what did you do? <laughs> well, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law came into town. My mother-in-law's birthday is October 7th and mine is October 9th. So we're like kind of birthday twins. Mm-hmm. So we did like birthday dinners and shopping and we went to the park and we went to pottery and it was really fun. So fun. Um, what I was going to say to you was, oh, I mean, it wasn't on your birthday, but we went to Corvino. Yes. To Moulin Rouge. To the Moulin Rouge performance. And it was it, amazing. It was so fun. Yeah. It was like dinner and a show. There were people dancing. I didn't know where to look. I was like, what's going on over here, over there? Mm -hmm. I wish I could do that. Yep. It was amazing. Uh, we had a great time. I had so much fun, so thank you so much for inviting me. Hey. Anytime. Um, hey, hey, you're officially invited to everything I ever do for the rest <laughs> of my life. I know. Usually, usually when it's like, what's been up since this podcast? I'm like, I don't know. We should just combine this into one section at this point. because I know. We don't do either. separate things. I don't know why people would ever think that. No. 
Okay. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> we make the scripts. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did put this in. Uh, <laughs> wait. Um, have you put Finn in the carrier yet? I need to know. Yes, I did. I put him in the, the sling one. Okay, so I got Sam a dog carrier for Finn. So we'll she send... Can... Pat took a picture of it. We'll send it to the podcast. Great. So she can carry him around where she goes places. Um, and I need to see a picture. Yeah, we'll send it to you. Stat. <laughs> um, okay, talking about dogs still. Um, we got to see puppies, which is obviously probably not the most important part of this, but we got to see puppies at the stadium groundbreaking. And I was trying to convince Marley to let me take one, and he denied me my happiness. Yes. So we he did, but it was not a very it was not a very rational decision. It was an emotional decision based on your love for the puppies, but not really one that you had thought all the way through. What are rational decisions? Don't ask me. Haven't I haven't made a rational decision since 1999? Since 1992. Um, but the stadium groundbreaking was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, we got to see so many amazing fans and meet everybody and see how much support there is in Kansas City. Yeah. And it was really cool to see, like, all the renderings of the stadium because it's going to be lit. Lit, literally. Um, and it was, like, a great event. We, like, signed some autographs. We got up on the stage um, to just grab attention. Basically, and we thanked our owners and the fans for coming out. And Lynn had a guitar. It was odd, but it was really fun. It was a great event. The food was really good. It's always fun seeing the team outside of the facility. And we got there was a puppy booth. I know there was a puppy booth. I wanted so, to save all those puppies, um, but it was incredible. I, the whole event was such an amazing time. I feel like there was a million people there. So I hope everybody who went, uh, had some good food, a good show. Hopefully the puppies were adopted. Um, and that's yeah. about it. So what are you about to say? I was just about to say to everybody to just hang, hold on to your hats and, and don't keep go anywhere. Listening. And keep listening. Yeah. Brianna Scurry is one of the most accomplished and impactful soccer players in the history of the sport. With the U.S. Women's National Team, she won two Olympic golds and the 1999 Women's World Cup, making a critical penalty save in the final. The first female goalkeeper and first black woman to be elected to the National Soccer Hall of Fame, Brianna's story is one of triumph, setback, and redemption, and we are excited to talk to her about all of that today on this special episode of Stacks. So, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Woo. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Yay. This is going to be fun. You live in D.C., correct? Yes. Okay. So, we always usually start, or this season we have been starting with, um, like, some of your favorite activities, or, like, if you could have the, the perfect off day, what, yes. well, I don't really know what, if you have an off day anymore. <laughs> I have a lot more now than I did when I was with you guys. But, like, what would be your, like, perfect day or, like, your perfect stops in D.C.? So, I absolutely love D.C. When I played, uh, it was one of my three favorite cities to play in. And so, especially in the spring, when the cherry blossoms and the tidal basin, um, downtown D.C. is fantastic. So, going downtown and maybe getting a coffee um, at one of my favorite coffee shops, me and my wife going down there, maybe taking the dog for a little bit of a walk and um, getting getting some some breakfast at a coffee shop and then, you know, taking the dog over to the tidal basin um, when the cherry blossoms are blooming. Um, obviously incredibly crowded there, but going early enough before the before the crowd comes. And then heading back to the house here, um, we built a pool and essentially a, a, a backyard oasis in our backyard here. So um, pool and then having friends over for dinner um, that evening, you know, just nice little, you know, bonfire and, and a nice little grill and, and a night swim um, would be a perfect Ooh, day. Oh, fun. A night yeah. swim. Night what's, swim. What's your dog's name? I knew you were going to ask that. I love dogs. <laughs> Her name is Sunny Bucket. Oh. Yeah, she oh is God. a Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. Well, what is that, that sounds 
sounds beautiful. But we I need to get know. an image. We need to get an image, right? There here. is a what picture is of Sunny in the book. Oh, oh my gosh, my book no. is in, the book is in my bag. I'll have to go look. <laughs> She's in there. Oh my gosh, She's, She's awesome. Beautiful. That sounds yes. so fun. What a day that sounds like. Yeah, that would be perfect. No ending. Notice there's no soccer in it. <laughs> yes, we noticed. Um, I had just two other silly things to say about at sure. the very beginning of this. They were supposed to be icebreakers, but the ice is already broken. <laughs> I wanted to tell you, Bri, this is so embarrassing. My oh. record in my first three U.S. Women's National Team caps <laughs> was 0-3. I confirmed with Hyfe and everything. He says this has never happened to anybody except me. Oh, no! Really? Yeah. I don't oh, think the national team has, like, I think we've ever lost three games. Like, I feel like Who, it's rare. It was so crazy. He confirmed the dates and the opponents and the scores, and he goes, yep, you were 0-3. It was Brazil, Denmark, and Sweden in, like, 2014. I think they, maybe they were all in 2014. Oh, my gosh. I, I know. Go. Tough go. Uh, let Hyphus be the one to tell you to confirm that for you, though, right? Yeah, I know. I was like, hi, if I'm just, I'm trying to make a funny note for snacks. Can you confirm some stats for me? And naturally he had all the records handy. He had it right Literally there. right then. Oh um, my gosh. And then oh. I also just wanted to say similarly to Lynn, my sister and I growing up were such huge fans of the 99ers. We watched, we had the tape of that game and several other games that you guys played on VHS. And we would just rewatch them. Like we would go on these long road trips and rewatch the VHS the VHS tapes in this car TV my parents bought so that we could like, we'd be driving nine hours down the coast to go to some tournament and we'd watch the games over and over. But like, we knew the commentary by heart. So I'd be like talking along with the commentators, like during the game, because we just watched it so many times. So I just wanted to tell you that you had a huge impact on me and my sister as well. You and all your teammates. And it was, I think it feels so full circle now to have played for the national team and yeah. seen young girls' faces light up when they get to meet mm-hmm. us and to mm-hmm. know that I was one of them. So I wanted to share that with you um, as well. Thanks for sharing that because isn't that the most amazing thing? It when really When those is. little girls come it up is. to you? It is it's pretty, really cool. It's incredible. Like, I think yeah. you go about your day 999 percent of the time and you're just like I'm just Lynn I'm just Sam I'm just Brian and, and you don't think about it and then you meet a little girl and they like either write you a message or they're bawling and you're like yeah. oh my gosh and then it like yeah. brings you back to a moment and you're like holy crap like this is actually incredible yeah. and I used to do that and <laughs> yeah like Sam said it's full circle I love it I love it that's awesome oh yeah you see because that's I'm always telling people they're like, oh, well, you know, you haven't played for so long or whatever. But I'm like, we're sisters, you know, because we are, we are always going to be connected to each other because 96, 99 teams started, uh, you know, visual, obviously, with being on TV and, mm-hmm. and younger players seeing it. And then coming through, um, you know, 20, 2012, you know, 20, 2008, 2015 teams, you know, those teams were the kids that were in the stands when we were playing yeah. and now they're playing and they're winning and now people are watching them and it just goes on and on. So we're all connected because we all saw the same thing in each other yeah. and then you end up doing it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's quite an arc to be able to go from the little girl in the stands mm-hmm. to being on the pitch. Yeah. yeah a long I, way. I feel like it takes a very unique brand of, person to especially to to play for the team for a long time like you did and like Lynn and I are trying to do um you just have to really like put all you have into it and I think it's there are such talented players and or people with great opportunity but you really have to have this certain sense of like do or die commitment to the team and to winning and that's really what enables you to to continue to get called back in and I just think it's a really rare quality I agree I couldn't agree more it is incredibly rare and the fact that we've won a title every cycle since cycles began it's crazy if you that's, go back and you look step. we won either a world cup or an olympic games every single cycle that is a crazy wow. stat I'm well, surprised Hypus didn't tell you that one because that's amazing. No, not yet, but you did. So maybe we'll use we'll have to use that down the road again. Use that. I, no, no pressure for the next cycle. Just saying. I I did also just want to say, like, feeling connected. Obviously, we're connected because we're all on the national team 
or we have all been on the national team, but I feel like I feel even more connected to like your generation because, because now I get what it took to do it. And I'm mm. like, I, I understand every single person here had to go through a crazy triumph and trials and, yeah. and ups and downs. And like, like Sam said, putting your all into it. And I think before I was on the national team, of course, I was like, I want to be connected. I want to be a part of the team. But then once you're in it, and especially in it for some time, you're like, oh, I feel <laughs> even more connected. Like, I get it now. Like, I, yeah. I understand why all these women are a little bit crazy. Uh, <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> and myself included. Yes, um, you are. You are definitely included. You bet. But I also, we wanted to ask, now I'm going to go back into the real section. We went fun in the back this way. Okay. Um, obviously, like, the fight for equality started with um, you guys. Mm-hmm. And we have still been fighting for equality, not just racial equality, but equal pay. So if you don't mind, could you tell us what you thought about like the equal pay lawsuit, um, considering that in the 90s, you guys refused to sign contracts as well that weren't equal. So like, yeah, yeah, what are your feelings now? So in late 95, before um, the Olympics in 96, I was one of the nine players that basically went on strike. Um, Nine because we were the nine players that were solid starters for the team. And we figured if anybody could stick their neck out, it should be us. Um, and so us soccer tried to call our bluff and then we called their bluff. And then we, we wanted one thing in particular, which was, you know, something other than a bonus. If we won the whole thing, like that was the standard back then you have to win everything, which is still the standard, but it was a little bit more obvious back then. They didn't have any prize money for silver or bronze. And so that was one of the things we fought for. And we, we finally got them to, to cave and actually put something together for silver. So that was the beginning of it. And then your equal pay lawsuit, you know, fast forwarding a couple decades, um, for me, taking it to um, that place with a lawsuit is a whole new chapter. It was a whole new way to stick your neck out. It was a whole new thing because you guys put your names on, you know, a legal document. You know, and it's, you know, it's in the law, it's in the courts. And then that's a whole different way of doing it. And and I was telling people left and right, you know, that was just the next logical step. Um, unfortunately, because the Federation has been so adversarial all this time, that was the next step you had to take. And, and, you, and if you think about the path from my time to your time now and then, the signing of this of the uh, of the documentation just recently here in DC. Thank goodness, um, you know it's been a journey, and there's been different things. And the way we and I say we because that's a, that's a sisterhood, you know, passing the baton from the '96 '99ers to the next group to 2004 and eight and 12, and then you guys come along and you guys do your bit. The equal pay lawsuit was just the the next step um, to get it over the line, and then. Fortunately, you know, Cindy Parlocone, if you think about, gets elevated to president because the former president said something stupid <laughs> about the lawsuit, you know, and then you get someone in there who can who can get everybody together and you, you know, you guys fought through and I can't even imagine how contentious that must have been, um, you know, at that point, trying to get there. But I've been t- saying to people, for 30 plus years, the Federation has been fighting with either the men's team or the women's team all the time, either one or the other or both. And isn't it nice to finally have, you know, some agreement and now you can be unified like you should have been all along and you can go forward and see what, what soccer can be in this, in this country. But I was so proud. I was so proud. I thought it was a heck of a, a heck of a move to file that lawsuit. And to put your put your necks on the line like that. Yeah, I have been thinking a lot about your generation well, as we've been going through this process. And I, I might this might have been in the documentary. I, I'm not sure where I just recently heard this. But I feel like there must have been this kind of mirroring of like when we were all gathered in a room and we decided to file the lawsuit. I was really scared. I was like, oh, no, like this is so terrifying. I don't know if I have enough 
standing or if I'm good enough to do this. Like, I don't know if the, what if the Federation is just like, well, now we're done with her mm -hmm. if she's going to do this. And I think the idea is that maybe everybody had that feeling, but as long as we did it together, it was important enough to do it. And as long as we did it together, we would all have the same consequence and, and the collectiveness of what we were doing would be strong enough to make what we wanted happen. And right. I feel like there must have been some mirroring with your group in that it's not that you weren't nervous or afraid to do it, but it was you felt so strongly that it was the right thing to do and that it had to be done, that you all did it anyway. And as long as you were together, it would be okay. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, you're getting that exactly right. I was terrified. Yeah. I had just gotten <laughs> yeah. on the team. So in late 95, I had only been on the team for like a minute, maybe a year and a half, two years at that point. And they were like, um, well, we're going to strike. And, you know, yeah. just so you know, your Olympic dream is going to be on the line and you might get tossed off the team if we do this. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, oh, no. It's literally like, Woo! oh, no. Well, I, I had like kind of similar too. like 2016 was like the moment everybody started happening. And those were like my first caps. And I was like, what is happening? Like, yeah, what's going on? I think, <laughs> like, what do you says, mean? I know. <laughs> I just got here. I got I think, here. Right. Exactly. I think it just says so much one about the leadership, the vulnerability of being able to say, well, we're nervous too, but this is the right thing for the team. This is the right thing for the future. And I think about our leaders who helped us through that, Pino, Becky, Kristen, um, and how important it was to be able to look at somebody I trusted and just say, you have it. Like, this is my career. This is my job. This is my life. And like, I trusted them. We all did. Nobody, nobody doubted that they were leading us in the right direction. And I think that that's so cool. Do you have like vivid memories of having the same kind of situation? I do. I do have that. And also it's interesting because I remember when Becky Sauerbrunn first came on the team and now she's just this outstanding, amazing leader. But I remember I when Becky was, you know, <laughs> a little nervous about being on the team and she had to do her thing and she first came in, but she understood that she had the quality, right? She understood that when you play on the women's national soccer team, it's not just about great, great soccer. It's not just a mm -hmm. about great great football on the pitch. There's a dual mandate. That's what I call it, a dual mandate. The first is to play outstanding soccer on the pitch and to be a great example and representative of, of the game in this country for, for young girls everywhere. And the second one is to move the bar and move move the envelope and and, and push it, push, push that envelope forward mm -hmm. and get equality for this team and make an example of that. And so that's what you do when you put when you when you accept that invitation to come into camp and you put that jersey on you're putting that jersey on for both of those things mm -hmm. and so when when young people come in they're like you know they're excited about to play their game but it's like whoa 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's not the only thing we do here yeah yeah you know what there's, I mean? yeah that becky says this all the time there's a responsibility to leave it better than you found it exactly and i exactly. think that's a, such a cool way of putting it as like a dual mandate of yep. you have to play your best and you have to do the best you have and to it's do, scary yeah yeah it's scary i think, I think it's too like it's you obviously as a person want to leave it the best but when you're first on the team, you have to learn from the people in front of you. So there's this period of time where you're like, wait a second, like what is going on? I'm just, like you said, just trying to play soccer and all these other people are like, we're going into battle. And then you get on a page and you're like, oh, and now after however many years you've been on the team, now I can fight for these people below me. So it is like a cool, I don't know, talking to you right now, it's so cool because I feel like we can see like generations of mm -hmm. baton passing. And, and yes. when you're in it, like it, when you're in it, sometimes you kind of, it's not like you forget at all. You're just in battle. And then you, when you take a step back and you're able to talk to people who have done it before you, mm -hmm. you're like, this is actually a pretty incredible, very, very long race that we have been running. Yes. <laughs> right. Isn't it? And, it, and, it, and once, and when you, in the, in the, in the very far future, when the two of you retire and hang up your boots, which won't be for a long time. <laughs> you will look back on it like I have and be like, you know what, that that sisterhood of being on this team has really changed a lot of things in this country for a lot of people other than just those of you that were doing it at the time. 
because a lot of people see the example. If you look at international soccer, you have teams from all over the all over the world, women's teams fighting because they saw us doing it and they're doing it and they're thinking they can too. And that is a, a ripple effect that you never would have thought you could have made just when you first come into your first couple of camps. And, and I also love the point you made, Lynn, about when you first come in, you're not expected to really understand that. You're just expected to just say, okay, you know, I don't really know what to do, but I, but I want to, tr I will trust. I will trust yeah. what you say. And I don't know quite sure how I feel about it. And if you're scared, that's okay too. So whatever you feel around this, it's understandable and it's okay. And then as you come back into camp when you're there for a couple of, a couple of years, then you start to get a little bit more responsibility on that other stuff other than just playing great soccer. And then over time, like you both are already, you know, finding out you become a leader in, 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 in ways that you couldn't possibly imagine when you first came in. Now you're both leaders in, in di very dynamic ways um, for, for not only yourselves, but for, for other young, young people to come, come behind you. So I'm getting chills. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, this is very cool. This is a very special episode. I feel I like. Know. I feel like I feel like we're talking about very deep stuff, but I can't stop smiling because I'm just I know. So excited. I'm so excited. I know Good. it's Good. it's really cool. Brian, do you watch the team's games now? Yes, yes, I do, and I I think you guys are amazing. And oh. I, you know, it's so funny because my my stepson came in um, just before this. I was watching the Spain game. And he's like, oh, you know, USA is, isn't winning. And that's really weird, right? And I'm like, yes, it is really weird. But I said, it's okay, because you have to get grabbed by the scruff of the neck before you understand what you really actually need to do. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this is happening now with these two teams is the perfect time for this to happen now. So now you can look at it and dissect it and get your heads right and do what needs to be done for the next, you know, eight months, you know what I mean? And now you yep. have a roadmap, you, but if you don't, I feel like if you don't lose sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you can't yeah. understand it. It's, it's, it's almost a necessity. Yeah, it's the best way to learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that makes so much sense. I feel like um, when you have so much success, you don't examine any faults or mistakes as mm. as much and it's it's losing or i mean in broad, more broader terms like in life adversity is what makes you grow and and change and overcome um and realize what you're capable of so i think that losing in soccer is such a perfect way to take that opportunity to learn from absolutely it, it helps you bring it brings out the microscope when you lose mm -hmm. you win a lot you don't necessarily look at it and you think oh well we're good but when you mm -hmm. lose you basically dissect yeah. everything which yeah. is then and the things are probably there before when you win games but you don't necessarily look at them as closely as you do when you when you've had a, a time when it when it's not so good and the fact that you guys are still able to win, for example, the qualifiers with, you know, literally double digit players injured. I mean, holy cow. So for me, that's really exciting. I think the fact that you guys are able to win as often as you do with so many of you coming back from, you know, pregnancy or injury or, or whatever it is. Um, that's very encouraging in my opinion. Do you always, like, when you're watching, do you always, like, analyze, or sometimes you just watch to, like... I don't fan? know. I can't, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> You can't just watch. I, I know. I know. I know. It's really we hard. We know. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, can't do it. Can't try. I know. Doesn't work. I know. Do you find um, yourself analyzing, sorry, like, on the field stuff more, or, like, keeper stuff? Mm. Um, mostly defensive. So back line, uh, keeper especially, but back line as well. Not not so much attacking stuff because I think the attacking the attacking pieces are are there. You you guys are phenomenal attack wise. Um, I think just the connection part with midfield to the defense and the goalkeeping is mm -hmm. where I usually look and dissect. Very interesting. As I'm sure you've heard, Lynn and I are big pod listeners ourselves. We found a show you women sports fans won't want to miss. Tune in to season three of Flame Bears to hear from women Olympians and Paralympians from around the world. Becky Sauerbrunn, Sue Bird, 
Dutch wheelchair tennis player, Didi de Grout, and maybe even some snacks appearances will be part of this new season. Hear directly from these masters of grit and resilience to learn about the issues that matter most to them and how they've been able to overcome obstacle after obstacle. During these challenging times, these women are an endless source of hope and inspiration. Get ready to be inspired as season three just launched. Listen to Flame Bearers wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. You so kindly sent us your book and mm-hmm. we have been reading it and we wanted to just hear a little bit more about what that whole process was like and how it came about. Yes, well, I tell you what, when you decide to write a book, both of you, someday, uh, just know uh, you got to be all in because it's a labor of love going and writing a book. Um, so about 2019, I've had a book in me for, first of all, I've had a book in me for 20 years. And I just never, never did it, was never in a good place to do it. And in 2019, I sat down with my wife and my publicist and we were like talking about it and they they said, you know, we think it'd be a good time. And I had to sit down and decide um, whether or not I was ready because I've had some real difficult things happen in my life. And, you know, sometimes, you know, those things are, are still painful even though they're in your past. And so I realized that I was ready to talk about them in an authentic and real way and not just about the good stuff because it's easy to write a book about all the wonderful things in your life and, and, you know, kind of just blow past the not so wonderful things. But I felt like I had to be, I had to be true to all of it. And so I was ready. Um, once we decided that, then we, we, we embarked on, on a journey to find an author to write with me, which is Wayne Coffey, who is Sam Coffey's dad. And uh, also uh, finding a publicist and publisher and all that cool stuff. And so Wayne and I started the book in uh, March 2020, and it took almost two years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a crazy time to have started it, too. I, I'm, I feel like what, maybe it was a good thing that you started it then. See, that's the interesting thing. You would think that because it's like, oh, well, you're locked down for literally yeah. the first six months with no no vaccines and all that. And everybody was stuck. And what else would you do if not write a book? But apparently it was a real hindrance um, because normally Wayne and I wanted to do these interviews with like friends and family, pay, mm. person to person, face to face. Yeah. And it just wasn't possible. I mean, if you remember that first six months, you know, no one was going anywhere in no. New York in particular which is where he lived, was not locked down, like tight, (laughs) if you remember. And so it actually kind of delayed it a little bit, which is why it took you two years. So yeah, the opposite happened. Wow. (laughs) Do you feel like when you were writing, because obviously, like you said, you didn't want to just talk about the happy times. You want to talk about like all the sad parts um, that all of the emotion of 2020 on top of that was, do you feel like it helped you like dive into that? more or do you feel like it was more of like a hindrance of like how do I put all this energy into the book when all these other things are happening actually 2020 um the pandemic and then subsequent um murder of George Floyd Mm -hmm. really um solidified my resolve to do this um I I felt so strongly and emotionally torn about George Floyd not, not only because of what happened and how it happened and watching, you know, that eight minutes plus uh, on, on a video, but it yeah. was Minneapolis, which is where I'm from. And so it was really an eye-opening event and then all the unrest that happened after that. And so that time frame was really helpful, actually, in grounding me into wanting to tell my story because stories need to be told, um, changes need to be made. You know, the, the country was, you know, undergoing, the world was undergoing this pandemic and then our country was basically tearing itself apart with all this social injustice and, and it just wasn't, it wasn't right. And so I felt like real, real dedication actually um, to, to do my book well and, and to get it out there and, and to do, do it right. Wow. Yeah. Well, that. That's amazing. That's incredible. I know that reading it and then also um, watching The Only has had a huge impact on Lynn and I. And we actually wrote down to to tell you this and talk about this a little bit because it was in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder that we we wanted to start this podcast. And Lynn and I went through, I feel like, most of 2020 together. um, And we started having these, like, more difficult conversations about race obviously I'm white Lynn is black and I think we both 
well, I learned so much from Lynn. And I think that we both really valued being able to have those open conversations during that time because it was, I think, a time where some people were hiding from talking about it. So I just personally, I think, wanted to say how important that time was for me and how this podcast was kind of born out of that and wanting to have these conversations. So um, we are very like honored to have you on and to be able to discuss that and continue that conversation. And um, we wrote down actually later in our questions about your personal experience in 2020 during the pandemic with like, the racial reckoning that went on. So um, the fact that you already brought it up, I think, is very telling about how meaningful this conversation could be. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for saying that. And it's interesting that you two had more meaningful conversations because I also had a bunch of my teammates, you know, reaching out to me, mm-hmm. wanting to um, not knowing exactly how or what they wanted to say, but they mm-hmm. knew they wanted to say something. And they, if nothing other than I, I just can, can we just talk? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I really feel like I want to talk to you about these things because when you go back and, and look at my story, I think a lot of them thought about, you know, maybe seeing things differently now mm-hmm. through how I dealt with stuff and being, you know, one of the few African-American players on my team, the only one that was like, you know, um, had, a, had a good and a, a solid position on the team, you know, a lot of basically being the only out player at the time also, like all these things, and they didn't really notice it or didn't realize it until after the George Floyd thing where they were like, holy shit, you know, we yeah. we want to talk to Bri about some things or they were feeling, you know, just this this feeling in their gut and they mm-hmm. didn't really know, and they knew it had something to do with the race mm-hmm. part, and they didn't know what it was or what it meant or how to, you know, and they're like, hey, Brian, can we can we talk to you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I had that a lot as well. Yeah, I, I feel like, well, one, you were like the first person who I saw who looked like me on the national team. And so for me to see that, um, I played soccer and ran track, but with soccer, like I loved it so much. And, but it didn't necessarily look like a space for me. But when I saw you, I was like, oh, I can do this too. If she could do this, I could do this. So one, I just wanted to thank you for like being a trailblazer in that sense. Um, but I don't know if you felt like this, but I, I feel like a lot of my journey and a lot of my path, you, you realize as like a black person that you're going through it, but because it happens so often, you like push it down and you don't talk about it. So for when 2020 happened, I felt, Sam wanted to know a lot. I, Sam, I didn't necessarily know what to say either, but I felt so um, safe and in, in such a safe space that I had a friend that was willing to have conversations with me and wanting to get to know things and saying like, Lynn, I want to support you. I want to support all black people. And even though I don't know exactly what to say, like I need to do something. And my advice to Sam was like, then do something. Like even if it's just reposting somebody else's words that like, um, resonate with you, that's better than doing nothing. Um, but I just felt so so safe and so heard when I had Sam uh, wanting to even have these conversations. So these aren't, this isn't even in our, our script, but did you feel that same way um, when your teammates would reach out? Because I do know some people felt like, why do I have to explain this to everybody? Go educate yourself. And that was part of it, of course. Sure. Um, and Sam did that, and a lot of other people did that. They're like, oh, I want to educate myself. This doesn't always fall on you. But I felt like this was finally a moment where I was being heard. So d- did you feel that same way, or were you like, oh, absolutely. there's too many people calling me. What the heck? Well, I felt like I was finally being heard. I really did. And, and it was interesting because I felt through the George Floyd situation, I felt myself like an opening come in myself that was available. And then my teammates also opened up and then they were like, Bri, can we talk? And instead of saying no, I was like, yes, yeah, yes, let's, let's talk because I was open to it for, for, I think the reason, because for me, it was so, I just cried. I, I watched the video and I cried and I knew that area, you know, I was born in Minneapolis and I lived there for five years 
um, when I was younger. And I, you know, go back, I would go back to Minneapolis in that area, you know, all the time to see my family. And so to see these locations that were burning, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, this, and I was like, well, this is what it's going to take right now for something. It was enough was enough. And I'd heard over the years about that Minneapolis fire department um, and police department, you know, all these different struggles that they've had with the community. And I, and I was open to it. And I think people wanted to ask me, you know, what, what's it like to live there? You know, what, how are you feeling? Like, how can, like you said, how can I, how can I help? What can I do? Like, I, I, I feel like I have to do something. They're not even quite sure what it was. And so I was open to it. I was open to it. I felt for the first time they were actually asking me real questions, you know, that we could have a real conversation finally. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely, I think you start to think about yourself. You're like, okay, I felt this as a person, but now how do I relay what I'm feeling in a way that's going to actually help and, and make positive change instead of shutting down again. You're like, this right. is, I feel like for a lot of people, it's like, this is the moment to actually be heard. We've been trying to say it for a while mm-hmm. and nobody's hearing. And finally now people are listening. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to know if you felt the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I felt a lot of different things, but definitely, definitely similar to you said. Do you, like, what is there anything you wish you had known in your playing days? Do you have advice for players like us or even listeners who maybe are like young, aspiring national teamers? You know, I it's funny because when I look at, for example, the only the documentary, I saw myself as young Bri, you know, with the team. And for the longest time, I, I always felt like, you know, I should have had more fun when I was playing and goofing around and stuff. And then I was like, you know what? I kind of did. I, I think yeah. I, cause it, it, my memory of it is different than being able to see it again, you know, mm-hmm. after all this time. And, and my, my thing for the longest time was I wish I had been more present in the off the field stuff and taken more, you know, more interest in more, um, having more fun. But, um, I think I actually did. I did have a lot of fun. So that's, that's good. awesome. That's yeah. great. I actually, I'm so grateful to some of my friends on the team, like Rose and Sonnet mm-hmm. are like such goofballs that like, even when I'll be like stressed and like want to be alone in my room, they'll mm-hmm. like come and make me have fun. Yeah. And like Rose would like always like stay in my room so late at night and we would just be like sitting there goofing off and like doing nothing. And I feel mm-hmm. like those are actually my most my most fun memories. Like I could forget what happened in a game, but Mm -hmm. we have these like ridiculous stories that have happened in camp because I feel like when you have strong friendships like that, you're kind of always enjoying that. So I feel really grateful to the relationships I've made on the team and how much fun I've had, even though I'm kind of like a stressed person. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you'll miss when you retire. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. As those fun times when you go goofed around yeah. or, you know, at training <laughs> and after training, all those times on the bus and those and those yep. in between the stuff that you're there for, that's the stuff you miss. Yeah. I was just saying that to Sam, like obviously we're both injured right now. And I got to with Casey, I got to go on a road trip because somebody wasn't able to stay here to do my rehab. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about all the little things. Like I forgot about all the fun hotel craziness with the girls (laughs) and just like the silly things and um like forced eating together but those are like sometimes (laughs) sometimes the best conversations come out of that yeah and they really do i just like like, have to talk about something at dinner and it's like all right well we're not going to sit here in silence so like somebody tell their first kiss yeah it's just like stupid yeah (laughs) i love it yeah and then you're like or I think somebody recently talked about how, like, they were scammed. And I was like, how? Like, yeah. how did that happen? <laughs> Tell and me I, everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, like, I, miss, I missed that. And so I think yeah. you're right. Like, obviously, I mean, hopefully not retiring anytime soon. Not going. But right. um, we'll miss the field. But it's those yeah. moments where you're like, oh, I just miss being around the girls. Yeah, the energy, the energy, and totally. in particular, and and being injured, you know, longer term is kind of similar. Like you, 
you miss the everyday rhythm of things because you're off trying to rehab, you know, mm -hmm. and you're trying to get your, you have a new rhythm because you're trying to get back and you miss some of that stuff. And so it's nice that you could travel that, you know, that time because you, you, you remember it then, you know? Yeah. Um, now that you've been out and retired for a bit, and like you said, you'll miss that. Have you found that in another place? Um, or with another group of people, anything like in yes. another yeah. avenue? Well, actually, you know, I think I think part of the reason why I I love my wife so much is because she just makes me laugh. Like she is so funny. She's sarcastic. She's just she'll just say stupid stuff, and I will just laugh out loud. And those are the things that I used to get a lot from the team, because back in the day. Similar to your situation now with, with your league teams, you spend a lot of time together, mm -hmm. you know, a lot, a lot, a lot, you know. <laughs> and so your your BFFs are your teammates because there really isn't a whole lot of time for anyone else. <laughs> Unless you had the friends that you made off the pitch, you know, that, yeah. you know, for, 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 for years. So it's hard to, to have other friends because you've gone so much. So having her and she makes me laugh. Like it's honestly one of the best things about her. And she'll say something, you know, sarcastic under her breath about something we're watching on TV. And I will just laugh and we just <laughs> laugh. And, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's part of what makes our marriage amazing. And I, I'm very lucky to have that because, you know, you don't realize how much you love, you love humor until mm. you've been without mm. it for a while and it comes back. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. Thank I know, you. I feel like we got like a two-in-one life lesson. I know. <laughs> I do too. Um, Bri, I think we are almost about to move on, but I, I wanted to just ask one more thing. Sure. That's maybe kind of, a, I don't know about a summary, but I'm interested in if you have like what you've been through a lot in your career and in your life since your career. And I'm just curious if you have one area or several areas of like advocacy that you're most passionate about if there was something particularly that you wanted to raise awareness about or have more people know or really fight for it can you pick something out yes or okay well because it picked me out so my career ended from concussion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know obviously traumatic brain injury so tbi and the three years i suffered from that concussion trying to get better care and, and getting misdiagnosed and people telling me i should be fine by now and all this stuff and it was really really hard for me it was literally mm -hmm. you know t 12 years ago but i think the advocacy piece with the tbi is um you know women who have you know, domestic violence situations happen to them um, a lot of times those women get hit in the head or they get slammed, their head slammed to the wall or into the ground. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people don't, don't believe them in their symptoms. And so that's the advocacy I've been doing, I'd say for the last 10 years, for the most part, um, just around concussion and, and traumatic brain, brain injury. And then of late, I, you know, I've stretched it out into, you know, the mental health piece, mm -hmm. basically. And so talking about that more. Um, you know, depression and, you know, just, you know, being burnt out and, you know, mm. these emotional uh, feelings that a lot of people have. And obviously I'm not the only athlete that feels that way. Although I was talking about it years ago, but now, you know, you've seen Simone Biles talk about it. You've seen Naomi Osaka talk about mm -hmm. the mental health piece, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, all different athletes, Michael Phelps talking about it a lot more. And so that's, that's the area that I do a lot of advocacy in now. Um, and I, I think it's really, really valuable, especially with, with regards to high level professional athletes. You know, we, we yeah. have these, everything seems great mm. all the time from the outside looking in at it, but it's not. And you need to realize that sometimes you need a break and mm -hmm. that's okay mm -hmm. if you need one. And the fact that you are brave enough to say, you know, I need time. Yeah. I need, or I need help, you know, that's, that's a commendable thing. And so I do a lot of advocacy around that. That's amazing. That. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. That yeah. was really, really great. Um, I also just wanted to, if our listeners don't have your book yet, did you have like a little <laughs> plug you could give? <laughs> I do have a plug. I give. Oh yeah. Plug uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, my, my book is called my greatest save. 
Um, and you can find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, but especially on Amazon. Uh, my book is, is literally um, a colorful description of my journey of the ups and the downs and all the behind the scenes things that occurred when I played on and off the pitch. Um, it is a truly, um, you know, truthful and very colorful and honest uh, look at, at someone who was at the top of the mountain several times and into the deepest valley several times and how I came out of it. And so I think what I love about my book is it's a real indication and depiction of resilience um, over over many, many years. And I think right now in this day and age, a lot of people could use uh, a triumphant story like that. I agree. Um, if you guys haven't read it and you don't have it, you should get it now. Um, yes. You're like a true inspiration. Um, and I think that there's a lot that people can take out of the book, even if you're not um, a soccer player um, or an athlete at all. So um, people go get your books. Yeah. <laughs> Look at Lynn promoting reading. <laughs> Sam if told me reading, there's an audiobook version too I did. So. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Sam called me illiterate one time, so that was my, not nice. My own voice. It's not nice. Oh, it's in your own voice. That's amazing. Oh, yes. you're reading it. I am, yes. That's that was amazing. an adventure in and of itself. So I yes. sure it was. Yeah, how long did that take? Uh, it took eight days, 40 hours to do eight hours of actual audiobook. So five <laughs> times the amount. Yeah. Were you drinking it, tea with honey? Yes, tea, very, very important because with an audiobook, after reading like that, your voice yeah. goes. Yeah. And I when bet. your voice starts to go, you're done. You're done for the day. Yeah. And so that's why it took so long. Lots of wow. tea. Wow. <laughs> Lots of tea. We're that learning so much. I know, mm. with my weak vocal cords, it would have taken me years. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm telling you, you'd be surprised how fast your voice goes when you're reading like that. Wow. So, oh, anyway, okay, we're going to do a little fun <laughs> section, okay? Okay. So our sponsors at Flambera host uh, some of the most resilient athletes on the planet. So we're going to do a nod to these athletes with some goat trivia. So we're going to give you their accolades, and you take a guess with their name. So are you okay. ready? Ready. Okay, where do we start with this athlete? This four-time WNBA champion has also been a leading force on the national women's basketball team, leading them to six gold medals beginning in 2004 in Athens. Super. Walks Yay! Yay! <laughs> you got that so fast, Brian. You know what? Everybody else has struggled. <laughs> Not, and we, you know what? The la We did Taylor Smith last week, and uh -huh. the answer was us. It was Lynn and Sam, and it took us like 15 minutes. I'm First like of all, not we, even kidding. We stumbled over our own accolades and then Taylor True. couldn't guess who it was. We so we were like, your own accolades. That's awesome. I love it. That's yeah, cool. it was ridiculous. But so yes, the answer was Sue Bird. And to learn more, everyone head over to the Flame Bearers podcast. Nice. All right. So now this is my favorite part of the podcast. Somebody's calling me. Oh my goodness, Lynn. <laughs> you guys the most popular woman in the world. <laughs> you guys, that was spam. So I don't know if you guys have been getting a lot of spam calls, but it's ridiculous. Anyway. Yes, yes I have. <laughs> this, this is my favorite part of the podcast where we just have a little fun and pepper our guests with some random questions. So are you ready? Yes. Okay, so this we're going to play the game Start, Bench, Cut. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, but it's fun. Okay. 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 <laughs> Me, you, Sam. I'm just kidding. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Pancakes, waffles, French toast. Oh, waffles, start, French toast, bench, pancakes, cut. Interesting. Interesting. I'm starting French toast, benching, pancakes, cutting waffles. I'm really? Sam, Sam yeah. I'm doing the same thing. As me? Yeah. Really? Nice. French toast. Waffles. What do you have against French toast? <laughs> yeah, I guess Good nothing. <laughs> Two and three is hard. Yeah. I maybe will call waffles back in, depending. But French <laughs> toast is my clear number one. Understood. I just feel like I've had more 
crusty waffles than I have crusty pancakes. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Like in a hotel banquet. Yeah. I was going to say, I was just going to say, Buffet. wait till you guys start, you know, no longer eating the hotel banquet food. You might All feel right. differently. All right, well, fair enough. We'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, start, bench, cut, burger, pizza, nachos. Start pizza, bench burger, cut nachos. I agree. I agree too. Yay. Go us. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Espresso, latte, frappe. Espresso, start, latte, bench, frappe, cut. Okay. I would start a latte, then espresso, and then cut a frappe. Same. Mm -hmm. I don't, like, what even is a frappe? That's like an ice cream. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. No, I don't, I don't think so either. Okay, Okay. um, Brian, did you, do you watch The Office? Yes. Okay. Start, bench, cut, Jim, Dwight, Andy. Jim, start, Dwight, bench, Andy, cut. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) She and Andy, same. Yeah, I agree. You, you gotta. Yeah, Andy's got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Although Dwight and Jim, they, you know, I, I could say I could see Dwight starting on occasion. Oh. Just because he's so goofy. He like, is it's so just goofy. so. He, yeah. I mean, so he does goofy. kind of like it, without his character. You're like, what is happening? Right. Yeah. You, so, you need so. Dwight and Jim out there together playing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree. They're a dynamic duo. Yes. Okay. Um, red wine. Beer, gin and tonic. Red wine start, beer bench, gin and tonic cut. I know we went straight for like aggressive gin and tonic. Gin and tonic <laughs> can not even exist and I'll be fine. Not I don't think I've said, ever even had one. If you said margarita. Oh. Okay, okay. Red wine, beer, margarita then. Margarita start, red Ooh. wine, bench, beer cut. Yeah. Okay, now that we're here, I have to tell the story. About Sam. Oh and, no! And margaritas. This was okay. in, this was during COVID. Okay, so, so it's during so COVID. Give me a break. So we're okay. during COVID. We're kind of it's in the middle where we're like, when is this going to be over? Right. So Sam sees a recipe of coconut. What was it? Coconut margarita. Yeah. Okay, a coconut margarita. She goes, let's make this. So we go to the store. We get all the ingredients for this margarita. We make it. I'm like, great. Sam takes. This one was like our event of the whole day. Yeah. Was to make this margarita. So we went to multiple stores. And it wasn't just like putting like coconut flavor. Like you had to like make it. Make, we blended I understand, it. Yes. Yeah. Like yes. we, made, we made it. It took us right. all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you had all day back then. So Yeah. Literally. <laughs> she takes one sip of it and goes, ew, I hate tequila. I hate this. I'm sorry. Why on earth are we making a margarita then if you hate tequila? I don't know. Were you aware that you didn't like tequila, Sam? Yeah, tequila has always like given me the shivers. <laughs> okay, okay. So, like I'll right. I'll like smell tequila and I'll go ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're hoping the pot, the the coconut would overwhelm the sense of smell. I was. I I don't really know like what I thought was gonna happen. <laughs> Sometimes you just lo- you just lose your brain cells. I lost COVID. my brain. I yeah, uh, it did not work out. I didn't drink it. That's what did we you like live? to call. I, did you drink? I, did. Did you drink I love. Yeah. I love tequila margaritas. <laughs> See, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I made That's it for mine. you. Th- I made it for you then, Lynn. Sam, Sam will like anytime we go to dinner, these fancy dinners or mm-hmm. like Corvino. Sam's like, "Oh, let's try this like new wine," which I like wine. Yes. But she goes, "You're a crazy person," because I'll just try any cocktail. I'm like, "Where's the cocktails?" Yeah, I think it's so <laughs> wild. She'll get like a gin and vermouth cocktail. And I'm like, that's going to give me the shivers. <laughs> I'm like, we're at a fancy place. They must be good. Yeah. Some people don't like liquor, though. Yeah. You sound like you're one of those people. I am. Yeah, my I wife am. doesn't either. My wife will drink beer and red wine, and that is it. That's yeah, I like, I like soft alcohols. Yep. A lot of soft is what she- <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's move on, Lynn, to the fan <laughs> questions. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, we have one more question. Oh. Okay. No show socks, crew socks, calf length socks. Calf, calf length socks. No show start, 
crew bench half calf length cut. You're starting a no show? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we wow. don't we don't know the style that like that's why we're asking is because it's like a mystery to us. I why wear them at all if they're not showing? Is that the question? Well, no. I don't think that I don't know if that I don't even know what the question is. I just think I recently heard that crew socks are going out of style and I said why? I love crew socks. <laughs> You're gonna but, keep them in style. Yeah. Like kinda of, not too long because I have massive calves, so I can't ha accentuate those too much. But like I don't want my ankle showing. I don't do you, know what do I do. Do you not like your ankles? No, there's nothing wrong with my ankles. I think they're normal now that mm -hmm. I'm looking at them. Um, <laughs> I just don't know. I just think I like. I also have long legs. I think so. I think I need a little. I don't know. I I don't know. We don't know. That's why we're asking you. Yeah, we don't even know the question, let alone the answer. <laughs> well, so the no-show socks have little like rubber Grippies. strips. Yeah, to grip your heel yeah. so they don't slide underneath. That's the only annoying part, but they're awesome if you're wearing them in the right way. So there it is. Great yeah. advice. Yeah. Great, great answer. I'm here for you guys. I'm here for you. Okay. <laughs> I, I love that. So before we wrap up every interview, we give our listeners the chance to ask their own question. And don't forget, if you want to send us your questions, tweet us with the hashtag AskSnacks. So at Oliver Hunt, AskSnacks, what are your favorite comfort comfort shows? Sorry, Oliver. Comfort um, shows. Yeah, and then they go on to say, "Love the podcast. Thrilled that you guys are back. I re-listen to your show when I'm feeling down, and it helps. So thank oh, you so much, Oliver. That is very nice. Um, yeah. But the question is, what are your comfort shows? I really love The Office, actually. So it's funny you asked a question about that. Love The Office. Uh, okay, this is this one's gonna be a little little cray cray probably. Sister Wives. Oh, okay. <laughs> Honestly, I can get around that. that... Sister Wives. <laughs> so, TLC, uh, I can get around some yeah, TLC shows. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's one. I and like then that. I like, I like to binge um, period pieces. So actually, I really did like the, I like the crown. Yeah. Oh, the crown is good. Yeah. The crown is good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sam, what about you? Well, when The Office went off Netflix, Sad. I struggled because mm. it's just not as easy. Like I, I think I'll I'll get like a like a short show. So like it would it's The Office or like Thirty Rock mm -hmm. or like uh, there's there's a show called Community, and I'll like mm -hmm. get into those again and rewatch them and like turn them on when I'm falling asleep. So like shows like that. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, same. I feel like. I just watch like what's on Netflix. And so when there's not like a group of new shows that are out, I struggle. I'm like, yeah. what, why? Mm. But I do love some TLC shows because those are crazy. Like Smothered, have you guys yes. seen that? Yes, yes. That's where the, the, the mother and the daughter or the mother and the son are, are too close. Way too close, yeah. That's oh, kind of, yeah. You are TLC girls. I am, yeah. <laughs> I am, yeah. Wow, that's fun that you, that's fun that you have that in common. Wow, crazy. Okay, crazy. <laughs> okay, we have one other question from Loop at Lupiza something. Uh, what is the weirdest combination of food that you absolutely adore? Ooh. Cheetos and chocolate milk. But only on road trips. Cheetos and chocolate milk. I could get around that. Like, not hot ones, like normal ones? Cheetos in the bag and chocolate milk, but only when I'm driving. It's kind of weird. Only when she's driving on road trips. <laughs> on <Wow>. road trips. <laughs> I always thought it was weird, but for some reason, the, the I don't know if it's the salty of the Cheeto. Yeah, and, and the sweet. The, and, you know, and the chocolate milk a little bit sweet, but it also kind of like, you know, how milk kind of like, it's like almost like matted or muted or whatever, like the taste yeah. of milk. And then I'm driving and I'm just like, mm, 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 you know, I'm drinking them, you know. Yeah. So, like a little, yeah. The milk is like a little palate cleanser and then you get a burst of Cheeto. Again. Yes. 
Exactly. But only on driving. My tummy could never. My stomach could never do that. Lynn is a sensitive, sensitive girl. Are you are you a sensitive stomach? I understand that. I mean, I don't not eat the food, but I just couldn't do that on a road trip. It'd be terrible. It would be terrible. It'd be a disaster. Oh dear. I I only do it on a road trip. I can't do it at home. I'm just like meh. The the things you'll do like in an airport, like the things you'll eat in an airport or in a car that you're like desperate, it's like pretty wild. It's like when you're home in a routine, you're like, I can't believe I would ever do that. Right. Plus you girls are still like, you know, trying to maintain your fitness and I'm no longer doing that. So (laughs) (laughs) there's that small little piece for me anyway. That is fair. That is fair. Hello, I'm Brian Oscuri. And this is the Snacks Podcast from Just Woman Sports. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show is produced by Just Woman Sports. For more great sports content, go to JustWomenSports.com. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter and follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm Lynn Williams. And I'm Sam Mewis. You've been listening to Snacks. (laughs) Yay! Yay! Thanks for tuning into Snacks. While you may have wrapped up an episode with our guest today, be sure to head over to our friends at Flame Bearers, where you can hear top women Olympians and Paralympians reflect on their accomplishments, share their trials and triumphs, and discuss what life is like outside the games when the spotlight isn't on. Get ready to be inspired as season three just launched. Listen to Flame Bearers wherever you get your podcasts.